all you cool cats and kittens know it's not Carol Baskins, but it is yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show. So, speaking of cool cats, before we get started with today's episode, I have to tell you about our fantastic new sponsor. That's right, you know him, you love him. It is our friends over at the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, the Lions of Liberty is the greatest libertarian variety show on earth, featuring three unique shows with three unique hosts. Their flagship show on Mondays is hosted by a friend of our show, Mark Clare, featuring interviews with leaders in the libertarian movement, roundtable discussions, debates, and more. More recently, Mark's been focusing on personal development and self-growth, featuring some familiar names like, I don't know, Jason Stapleton or Gary Collins. Wednesdays feature Electric Liberty Land, a weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty, hosted by the hilarious and acerbic Brian McWilliams. And on Friday, we have Felony Friday, which is a weekly look at the broken criminal justice system, hosted by John Odermatt, featuring inspiring stories from those who've overcome incredible injustice and adversity. So, head over to your favorite podcast catcher and hit that subscribe button to Lions of Liberty, and then let Mark and the rest of the pride know that Brian Nichols here at the Brian Nichols Show set you. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes, like, homeless people that believe in Bigfoot? <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Friday, folks, and welcome to the flagship program here on The Brian Nichols Show. Yes, it is our mainstay Friday episodes here on The Brian Nichols Show, meaning you are in store for, of course, another phenomenal episode here on The Brian Nichols Show. And this week, we are joined by the one and only Judge Jim Gray, Joining us to discuss his brand new book, All Rise, The Libertarian Way, with Judge Jim Gray. We discuss, namely, three uh, specific chapters in Judge Gray's book, looking specifically at the economy, healthcare, and the war on drugs, and the libertarian approach, and how we can sell the ideas of liberty as it pertains to those topics to people, by and large, outside of our movement, uh, and actually change some hearts and minds, which is our goal, obviously, folks. So do me a favor. If you enjoyed today's episode, share with family and friends. But without further ado, on to the show, Judge Jim Gray here on The Brian Nichols Show. Well, that is about the shortest introduction I think I've ever had on a radio show, and it's nice to be with you, Brian. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Judge Gray, well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. We're going to be digging into your bio here today. Don't we worry. Um, because, I, I mean, I'm sure for the longtime libertarians here on The Brian Nichols Show audience, they're familiar with the name Judge Jim Gray. But there's a lot of folks here on my audience who they're relatively new to the movement. Uh, and they may have not uh, been familiar with your, your past uh, judgeship, but also your past candidacy back in 2012 when you were running for uh, the nomination to be the Libertarian, and also this past uh, uh, election cycle, uh, mind you, as well. I know you, you did duck your uh, toe into the ring there for a little bit. So, uh, Judge Gray, let's kind of uh, introduce yourself to some of the folks, to the audience who are not familiar with you, uh, your, your history in politics, history in law, and so forth. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, I start usually by saying that I was in the Peace Corps. I care about people. Y puedo hablar español como la gente todavía. But, uh, you know, I, I think most libertarians are. Uh, I was a lifelong Republican until the passage of the so-called Patriot Act back in the end of 2001. And uh, I could not be a part of any organization that would 
assist or condone this direct frontal attack on my civil liberties. And it literally, I, I remember the transition. It took me about 13 seconds to realize I really am a libertarian. I, I stand for what they stand for and vice versa. You know, no one speaks to the Libertarian Party, but uh, I'm comfortable with there. And so uh, I ran for U.S. Senate as a libertarian in 2004, actually got endorsed by the Long Beach Press-Telegram, which is now my favorite newspaper in, in all times. But, uh, you know, we... We, we, we have made a major mistake, in my opinion, as a libertarian party, and we have allowed other people to label us. And so if you say the word libertarian over 100 people, what's going to come back? Oh, uh, you know, survival of the fittest, uh, greedy. Thanks, Ayn Rand. Uh, you know, no borders. No, everybody uses drugs. I mean, that sort of stuff. It just isn't true that I believe that the libertarian party is the only mainstream political party in the United States of America today. And if people really knew who we are, what we do, what we would stand for, and how we would be successful in helping people all rise together, that uh, we would flood the nation. So it's our fault we've not gotten that out there. That's why I'm talking with you on your show. Um, and that's why you wrote a very important book that we're going to be discussing here. And you hinted at it there. I think it's called Foreshadowing. We're talking about... Uh, Writing All Rise with uh, Judge Jim Gray, your newest book. We'll discuss that in a hot second. But um, you, you hit the nail on the head, Judge Gray. I think, yes, we libertarians, we've done a bad job. We haven't really gone out of our way to take the the messaging in, in our own hands. My day job, so I'm the director of sales for a telecom company here on the East Coast. And one of the main things that my, my, my number one responsibility from not only my team in hitting our KPIs and metrics and such, but to help peak interest and instill value in what my company has to offer to our, our customer base. And I would say that the Libertarian Party has been too focused too often on being right versus trying to take our, yes, right messaging, but bring it to people where they're at. Now, you wrote this phenomenal book. And again, I, I hinted all rise the libertarian way with Judge uh, Jim Gray. And it's a, a, a very uh, inclusive 12 chapter book. And there was three chapters in particular that stood out to me that I think are meeting people today where they're at. And that's kind of, um, I think that's kind of the problem with where we've been with the Libertarian Party is that we're not also meeting people where they're at. So the three chapters in particular that hit me were uh, chapter five, six, and 12, which was Liberty and the Economy, Liberty and Healthcare, and uh, Liberty and the War on Drugs. So let's kind of start here with Liberty and the Economy. I think there is a common misconception that libertarians are this, you know, live and let live, we're going to get rid of all social safety nets. You know, poor people, disadvantaged people, be damned. And I think that we've, again, not done a good job trying to actually explain what it means to be a libertarian as it pertains to, in this case, economics. So, Judge Gray, let's set the record straight. What's it mean uh, when we say liberty as it pertains to economics? Well, let me start with Milton Friedman, who is a, one of my heroes. And uh, he says many things that I wish more people would listen to. And that is, in the first place, we should judge our programs by their results, not their good intentions. If we were just to do that, it would be a political revolution in our country. So people would start seeing that things like minimum wage. Well, okay, it sounds, oh, poor baby. You know, you should be able to have a living wage and the rest. What it really translates into is that some people, I'm sorry, sorry to be so harsh, are not worth $10 an hour, much less 15 yet. But once they get that first job, you can't go up the economic ladder, Brian, until you get on the first rung. And a lot of people just can't get on that first rung. So they, they're, they're precluded from a job. And a lot of people that have jobs are 
are pushed away from them. So, so let's do that. Then you have to understand, particularly in the COVID virus thing today, governments are not good at terribly, woefully ineffective at central planning. I mean, ask the Soviet Union, what good did it do them? Look at East yeah. Germany as opposed to West Germany, North versus South Korea. They're just not good at it. Uh, so the other thing Milton Friedman says is, why should we leave economic choices, market choices to people who have no penalty for making bad decisions? And that's, again, politicians. Politicians are only responsible politically, not economically. So, yes, we need controls. Uh, yes, I think we need child labor laws. Yes, I think that we certainly need safety in the workplace. I even believe in workers' comp insurance if you're injured on the job, that sort of thing. But otherwise, allow the people that have the vested interest in making good decisions to make those decisions. And and you, I can keep going if you want. The, the whole COVID virus thing, we have seen hundreds of mayors and tens and tens of governors taking to the streets and saying, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you safe. That means, of course, it, we're going to take away tens of millions of jobs, tens of millions of jobs, and close down unnecessarily hundreds of thousands of businesses. But that's OK, because I'll keep you safe. So, Brian, if you don't get this virus, I was successful. I'm a hero. And if you do, I have a political cover. I did everything I could, so don't blame me. In the yep. meantime, we're inflicting untold harm upon everybody by losing jobs, by closing down businesses. And then I'll, I'll continue this because it's critically important that people understand it. So I own a hardware store, for example, and you're going to determine, and I live in California, you know, the People's Republic of California, basically, Governor Newsom, who has decided I'm not an essential business. Okay, so I am closed down. So now what happens? My customers go to Home Depot or Costco or big box stores. And while they're there and they'll buy their fruits and vegetables and clothing and also my hardware. But I'm probably or they are probably being put at greater risk. All I wanted to do is buy some hardware. Now I have to go to this big box store with all those people there. I'm at greater risk than if I came to Jim Gray's hardware. Exactly. Now, if I'm going to make my own decisions, I don't want to get sick. I don't want my my employees to get sick. I don't want my customers to get sick. So I'm going to advertise, hey, I put in this new filtration system that filters out 98% of the air particles every half hour, whatever it is. I'm not going to allow anyone in my store unless they have their temperature taken. We're going to socially distance. We're not going to let anyone in without masks. In fact, I have a small store, only seven customers in a time. Whatever I do, and let you, Mr. Nichols, decide whether or not it's worth it to come in or not, or whether you want to go to Home Depot. And you allow that those people to make those decisions. It's different for different people. If you are 80 years old with pneumonia, I don't care how well I advertise, you ain't coming to my hardware store. Exactly. You're going to send somebody else. So that's what you do. You allow it on the ground to treat people as if they're adults, but- Thomas Sowell, a really good, he really should spell his name S-O-U-L, but it's S-O-W-E-L-L. -L. He's an African-American uh, economist, professor, uh, well-trained. He's now at, at the Hoover Institute at Stanford. But he said, the first rule of economics is scarcity. There's never enough quality goods and services to go around for the demand. But the first rule of, of politics is to ignore the first rule of economics. And that's what we're seeing. You know, they're ignoring that because economics, the, the whole, your businesses, your, your jobs do not 
They're not a part of the equation. Libertarians would have done it the way we said, and it would work. It would, would work. People still yes, yes, that would be a part of it. But look, if you lose your job, if you lose your business, you know, um, that's called a lot of people commit suicide, a lot more domestic violence, a lot of, you know, people go bankrupt. I mean, those are costs also. They were not a part of the considerations. Libertarians would have had them be a part of considerations and allow people to make their own decisions. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's actually uh, it's sad. I had Dan Mitchell, economist over on my show um, back right when the, the lockdown started. And, and the topic of the show was would it would slash could the COVID-19 lockdowns end up doing more harm than the virus themselves? And and and. Judge Gray, we we were lambasted by folks. Trust the experts. They said you just want people to die. You just want to get a haircut. And and it's amazing because I'm saying no, no, it's not that. It's that there's real life ramifications and consequences when we're not taking into consideration the the long term uh, impl- implications of our actions. And and again, to your point, you you paraphrase Milton Friedman perfectly. Yes, we need to start looking at the actual uh, consequences and outcomes of these policies versus their intentions. And I mean, my goodness, with COVID-19 lockdowns, the intentions, they, they say that they were all well-intentioned. But then I look at, you know, you have some folks like Governor uh, Cuomo and Governor Whitmer, and I, I don't know. Some of their, their intentions don't seem to be so, uh, you know, so willfully good as we had hoped. Well, I, I don't cast aspersions. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. But they're behaving politically. And basically, they're behaving so that no blame comes to them politically and that they can continue to be elected. Governor Newsom, by the way, is running for president last I looked, and he's, you know, protecting everybody. Nonsense. Do you know, by the way, Brian, Governor Newsom here in California, this will really get you, has decreed by executive order as a governor that no new gasoline-driven cars will be able to be sold in California as of 2035. I mean, are you kidding me? That's insane. That's absurd. In arrogance, out of control. He doesn't have the power, but even if he did, just be an insane thing. Let the market decide. But that's what we're facing. So libertarians, again, are in the mainstream. And I, in fact, I will ask a uh, favor of our audience. Um, I have a website. It's judgejimgray.com. And uh, you look on some articles, and I've written something there. You can find it. It's called One Man's Libertarian White Paper. And it's no one speaks for the Libertarian Party, and that certainly includes me. But it says what a libertarian society would look like. And it quotes people like Thomas Jefferson, who I love to quote, and then says who the winners and losers would be. Thomas Jefferson, a classic libertarian, said, quote, best I can from memory, I don't care if you worship one God, 20 gods, or no God. It doesn't pick my pocket, and it doesn't break my leg. In other words, do what you wish. You're an adult. Do as you wish, as long as it does not wrongfully affect my ability to do the same. Yeah, it's funny, as, as I know, uh, as the dogs there, uh, I gotta love dogs. They, they, they have no filter at all. For They don't care if you're on an interview. No, actually, they do. And when I say something really important, my dog starts agreeing with me and barking. <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, we, you know, it goes full circle. Before we started recording here, you were referring to, uh, you know, for the, unfortunately, there's no video here. But over my shoulder, the Don't Hurt People, Don't Take People stuff bumper sticker that I have, uh, because that really that's as simple as it comes down to Judge Gray, because I think if we were to live our lives on a macro level, um, when we interact with people, in our day-to-day lives, just like we would live as we were kind of taught growing up, you know, the golden rule, treat people as you want to be treated, which is don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. I think objectively we would be better as a society. 
without a doubt. And and let's kind of go with that being said to the next uh, part of your book, which is focusing on healthcare, because I think healthcare, looking at COVID-19 right now, people are saying, but Brian, people right now, they need to have health insurance. They need to make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, because right now, I mean, what's the term? Emergency socialism? That's kind of where we're at, right? It's time that the government actually does stand up and, uh, and take a role. So, Judge Gray, liberty on health care. Well, let me ask our audience a question again. I'm on a roll here, maybe, according to my dog anyway. <laughs> Have you ever seen a circumstance in which the government intruded into the marketplace where prices did not go up radically and the quality of goods and services did not go down. You, you cannot come up with one. And so prime example is healthcare. You know, we had, I, I'm older than most people on the show. Uh, back, I was raised in the 50s, middle 60s, and uh, we had the best quality healthcare in the world. Uh, I was in my first grade, as I'm told, I had nephritis, it's a kidney infection. and. Uh, I'm told that penicillin was just developed around then, saved my life. And our medical doctor came to our house and gave me the injections of penicillin. It wasn't even considered to be unusual. It wasn't a topic of conversation that we don't have enough emergency rooms, that medical care is too expensive. It was supply and demand. It was competitive. And so doctors made a lot of money. In fact, by the way, back then, uh, I went into law for a long time. You mentioned bumper stickers. My favorite bumper sticker was become a doctor and support a lawyer because <laughs> doctors made a lot of money. They trusted people. People trusted them. And then, of course, they started making these financial transactions and stuff, and they trusted too much and lost a whole bunch of money. So they came to see me as an attorney. But, but you know, would you want your intelligent daughter or son now to become a medical doctor? No, it's all administrative. And the way I describe it, which is accurate, if you want your medical coverage to be controlled by the equivalent of the Department of Motor Vehicles, that's where we're going. So the more we involve ourselves with administration, the worse the, the, the situation is. And it began with Medicare in 1965 with, the, with Lyndon Johnson. And then more and more, the government keeps getting involved. And now look where we are. And yeah. so, one, you know, but by the way, libertarians and anyone else sensible, Everybody that goes into the polling booth, we're going to go in soon, has one question on his or her mind, and that's what's in it for me. And we made a mistake when I was running in 2012 as vice president with Governor Gary Johnson for president because our slogan was live free. Okay, that's fine. It sounds good. Libertarians will like it, but others will think, well, that isn't going to put rice in my rice bowl. That's not going to get my children educated. That's not going to help me as I grow older. So it was a mistake. So if we go out and say, repeal Obamacare, 40% of the voters are going to mean by that, you don't care about me. I would repeal Obamacare in a heartbeat, but politically, it's suicide. So fortunately, there's a better way. And the better way is medical savings accounts where most people in the country, let's say 65% of the people in the country can take care of their own health care. So get the government out of it completely. They can have a medical savings account, put aside $5,000, for example, at the beginning of each year in an ATM, use that to buy catastrophic medical insurance, which means a deductible of $5,000. And then when I go and see a doctor, for example, and he says, Jim, you got a knee problem. Yes, I do. Do you want an MRI? Well, what goes through my mind now? Well, I have Anthem Blue Cross, pretty good coverage. I'm on Medicare, pretty good coverage. Let's see. It'll cost me about $18 to $20 for copay. Sure, Doc, why not? I might as well get the best. But 
if I'm going to have to dig into my medical savings account and, and pay it myself, because if the money left over at the end of the year, it rolls over. So I keep the money. So it's my money. So if you ask Jim, do you want an MRI? What now goes through my mind, Brian? Well, let's see, doc. What's it going to show me and how much is it going to cost? Yep, exactly. If you ask that question today, doctors don't even know because the cost is not a factor in the equation. So guess what happens to costs? They mean they go up. Surprise, surprise. Yep. So it's PJ O'Rourke who said, love it. If you think healthcare is expensive now, wait till it's free. Yes. And, that, and that's right. Yeah, that's you, you, you quoted that in your book, and I read that. And I was like, yes, that's so true, because that was a great quote by PJ O'Rourke. And um, you, you know, Judge Gray, it's, you're, you're speaking to, I think, one of the, the, the problems that libertarians have had in our messaging is that we do sometimes forget that your average person, to your point, they hear repeal Obamacare and they think you don't want me to have health care. And they take it to, the, to to be that 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 you know personal attack almost. And part of what we have to do is not be the voice of we're just going to take things down and destroy, but rather the solutions. We're, we're, we're presenting different alternative solutions and, and our solutions are based not on, on more government, which I think we could agree is, is in many cases the cause of more of the problems but rather the free market, embracing the free market, which would incentivize competition, which would lower prices. I mean, the fact that we don't know what your services are going to cost is crazy. I mean, one of the, the best things about having my show is I get to talk to people who are way smarter than I am. And I actually had Dean Clancy, who's uh, now leading uh, a nonprofit called HSAs for All. Uh, and he was on the show back, I think it was earlier this past month. And and digging into you know just how we can actually build now these real free market solutions that will actually help people. That's, I think, what people are, are truly looking for is something that's actually a real tangible solution. And something like as simple as HSAs is at least a middle ground that will help us make that step towards a true libertarian future. Well, let's take that a step farther because, okay, what if you make no money? What if you're poor? Right. I care about you, remember? And libertarians do. By the way, quickly, if I were bleeding on the street right below you, Brian, you would have no legal obligation to help me whatsoever unless you caused my injuries. That would be different. But we will because we want to, because we're compassionate people. Exactly. But just because I'm alive does not mean you owe me anything. I'm not entitled to anything just because I'm alive. But we will because we want to. So I want people to get health care. So what we're going to do, you say HSAs, health savings accounts, I'm going to, depending on a sliding scale as to your, your economics, your, your intake of money, I'm going to give you a voucher that you can use on the private sector to purchase health insurance, to purchase, pay for your co-pays or, or make your payments so that, but you have to have a co-pay also. So you have some skin in the game. I don't care if it's, you know, 25 cents on a $50 bill. You've got to have reach into your pocket and pay some because then you're not going to go off and buy stuff just because it's free. And I'll tell you one other thing. When I was in college, I was a lot smarter than I am now, but I would work for a pipeline construction company, among other things, other than painting heavy equipment. I'd go out and run errands for, for them and I'd go buying stuff. And I went to a hardware store and I saw on the counter of the hardware store, they had some glue that people and some wood screws and that you could screw it into the wood and the glue would hold it. And it was there were about five of them in there or 10 of them in there for about five cents. And in my wisdom, I said, you know, there's a lot more accounting problem with having people pay five cents for those. Why don't you just give them away? And they said, well, we did that for quite a while. People would take handsfuls of them. And then we'd come back later and we'd say, well, did you enjoy them? Nobody used them. But now that we're selling 10 for five cents, people will only take four or five 
baggies, and then they'll come back. Hey, those were really good things because they spent some of their money. It's something, it's a reality that you have to recognize. And if you have that skin in the game, regardless of how little, then you start looking for quality. So they have these health savings accounts or they have these vouchers and then the private sector kicks in and everyone wins except the bureaucrats, the administrators. And they hate it. They hate it so much. Look at, look at, well, and there's, there's something else. If you say you're going to repeal the minimum wage, government has its own issues too. And I would expect that probably a third of the people that work for the Department of Labor in the United States of America oversee minimum wage issues. You're taking away their jobs. So of course they're against it. And I'll tell you one more thing. When President Trump was elected and he appointed Betsy DeVos as the Secretary of Department of Education, which by the way, I would abolish. There's nothing in the constitution allowing it, but nevertheless, I saw this school choice is a huge issue. Get competition back into schools, truly libertarian issue. And I applaud President Trump for doing this. I don't think Betsy DeVos has been particularly effective, but nonetheless, so I sent her a letter of a job application explaining who I am. I was the vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, believe in school choice, no Milton Friedman and the rest and applied for a job. I couldn't get beyond her front secretary because they saw me as a threat to close down their jobs. So I'll bet you to this moment, Betsy DeVos never knew that Judge Jim Gray had applied to work with her because it, it's 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 taken away their, their jobs. It's taking away their bureaucracy. So it's all connected. It's just all connected. And we've got to bring back competition. You're looking into a screen, and, and, you know, in computer screen, you have, I bet, a cell phone somewhere within reach. And so... There it is. I see it now. If those were were made by government, they'd be twice, seven times more expensive and seven times less effective. Allow the free enterprise to do this. And then the people that come up with good ideas, quality for reasonable prices, thrive. Hooray. And the ones that can't either do it better or they go out of business and they go into something else. It works. It works because uh, you, you when you have market forces and you have to compete, you you either you adapt and you compete on the open market to, to meet your customers' demands, or you go out of business. And and to go to the last chapter of your book, you look towards um, the war on drugs, and we're seeing right now this kind of come to a head where you have a system where people are demanding from the, the criminal justice system some change, and it seems again back to this bureaucracy where people, they do not want the change because it basically keeps them around, uh, and you look at the war on drugs, name the three-letter organizations we have that are focused on trying to go after drugs, but then you look at just when we started to rein in the war on drugs, just the, the, the benefits we've seen. I mean, the CBD market right now is blowing up. We're going to have a sponsor here in the Brian Nichols show um, that's going to be a CBD sponsor because I know just using it in my personal life, it's made my pain go like my, my uh, chronic pain go away. And, and to see like, oh, now we can actually start to look at alternatives beyond these big pharmaceutical companies who just happen to be, uh, you know, big union uh, supporters of these different regulations that are in place. It almost seems like it's kind of tied together, Judge Gray. So let's kind of dig into the final chapter here we want to discuss. And actually, the final chapter of your book, All Rise uh, with, with Jim Gray, the, the healthcare, the libertarian uh, approach to healthcare. How would you best uh, summarize that? You mean healthcare or the war on drugs? I'm sorry. I, we, I I say healthcare. I was reading healthcare. It's like we, we covered economy, healthcare, war on drugs. That's my number three. Yes, war on drugs. I'm sorry. Well, you have to understand my background. Uh, being drafted out of the out of law school, I became a Navy JAG attorney. I was a criminal defense attorney. Basically, I was raised the same way that you were, very likely, to treat 
heroin as bad as evil with as prison. I just you don't think about it much. It makes sense. No one will say it's a good thing to get hooked on heroin. Yep. So I was a criminal defense attorney and I'd write charge sheets against some of my shipmates at the Naval Air Station in Guam. Then I was a federal prosecutor in, in Los Angeles and prosecuted a lot of drug crime, the rest. Only after I'd been on the bench for nine years, by 1992, April of 1992, I did something really highly libertarian, even though I was a Republican at the time, and I held a press conference. As a sitting trial court judge, conservative judge in a conservative county, told anyone who would listen, the war on drugs is a failure. We couldn't do it worse if we tried. About 10% of the problems all across the board are caused by the drugs themselves. And addiction is not a good thing and it causes problems and the rest. But 90% of these problems are caused by drug money, by the impurities, by by drug prohibition. So I've been doing this ever since. Uh, I wrote a book, finally. It was published, uh, that was my first book, 2001, called Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It, A Judicial Indictment of the War on Drugs. The longest book title you've probably ever heard I'm proud to say I requested six people to endorse it, and all six agreed. And to this moment, it really makes me pleased that Milton Friedman was one, George Shultz was the uh, Secretary of State for for Ronald Reagan, uh, Walter Cronkite, who was Mr. America from CBS News, uh, Kurt Schmoke, who was then the Baltimore mayor, mayor of Baltimore, really wonderful man, Governor Gary Johnson, who was then the, the uh, governor of New Mexico, as well as Ariana Huffington in newscasters. So, so you write about this, and one chapter in that book just talked about the erosion of our civil liberties just from the United States Supreme Court involving drug cases. And drug, drug cases have resulted in us losing so many civil liberties. Are we better off because of it? No, because let me tell you a secret. Maybe it's a tough secret to understand, but you cannot repeal the law of supply and demand. And if people want marijuana and they want methamphetamines, they're going to find a way to get them. Do you know what the largest cash crop is in the state of California for the last two decades? It's marijuana. Even though it's been illegal, it's there. And that implies to me someone's using it. So let's address this, take away a whole lot of money from Mexican drug cartels and juvenile street gangs, who, by the way, use it as a recruiting tool to recruit our young people into their street gangs and other thugs and use it to to fix our highways and pay our teachers and pay our firefighters. I mean, how hard can this be? The most effective drug law in our country was with regard to the Federal Pure Food and Drug Act of 1907, which required people to put accurate labels on what they were doing. Remember all this this uh, elixir industry and all that sort of stuff? <laughs> uh, we had people going around, these salesmen, snake oil salesmen, and uh, selling this stuff. And it, oh, sell, you know, Uncle Gray's uh, tonic. And it was about 50% cocaine, make you feel real good for a little while. <laughs> sure and we required them to say what was in it, it the whole market fell apart. So that's what we need to do and control. Then you get into it, the libertarian approach. It makes as much sense to me to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem. And he's a very gifted actor, but he's always had that heroin problem. Makes as much sense to me to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. She was, of course, the wife of of, uh, Gerald Ford and was a self-acknowledged alcoholic. It's a medical issue. Bring them closer to medical professionals that can help them instead of labeling automatic criminals and pushing them farther away. But if Robert Downey Jr., Betty Ford, you or I drive a motor vehicle impaired by, you name it, methamphetamines, heroin, cocaine, alcohol, which is my drug of choice, that's a crime. Think of it this way. What's the difference? 
And the answer is now I'm by my actions and putting your safety at risk, legitimate criminal justice issue. Criminal justice system is really built for and good at protecting us from each other. Good. But it's woefully un unavailable and not designed to protect us from ourselves. So get it out of here. So that's where we are with the war on drugs. I promised people back on April the 8th, 1992 at my press conference, by the year 2000, we will have a materially different drug policy in our country because I was so convinced, it was so transparent that we would. And boy, was I wrong. We're well, still in worse shape in many ways today. The United States of America leads the world in the incarceration of our people, both by sheer numbers as well as per capita, many of whom, of course, are people of color. And uh, it's woeful. And there was a U.S. Senator, Jim Webb from Virginia, and uh, he was seeing those statistics and was quoted as saying, either we're the most criminally oriented people in the world or we're doing something wrong. Which do you think it is? Yeah. And mostly it's the war on drugs. Yeah. And well, I was going to say it does disproportionately impact people of color. And you see that happening across the United States, especially in big cities. And it is, you know, I think a, a fair answer, the libertarian answer to when we're said, well, what, you're, we're asked, well, what would your response be? It'd be number one, get get the government out of trying to, yes, police what people are putting into their bodies. I mean, I forget who it was that said it, but just imagine, like, if you could get heroin from CVS and, and somebody's like, well, that's terrible because people would be doing heroin and they'd be dying in the streets because of overdoses. I'm saying, you, you tell me that they're not dying of overdoses from heroin in the streets right now as it is? And think about that way. Like, if you were able to go to, to CVS and buy heroin, you know what's in the heroin. You know it. You know exactly what the ingredients are. You don't think it's maybe going to be laced with fentanyl. And, and you would actually be able to deal with whatever problem it is that you have. You know, let's say you have an addiction. You're able to now deal with that addiction instead of living in fear of getting in trouble, you know, talking to somebody openly about it or the, the, the judge or the judgment or the, the stigma that comes along with it being a quote unquote illegal substance. Um, and, and to your point, Judge Gray, we're seeing it right now with marijuana. Marijuana is still considered a, a banned federal substance. And yet it's a, it's now legal in how many states? It's it's pretty much like accepted like, OK, it's marijuana. Like it what are you gonna, it, it is what it is at this point. The genie's out of the bottle. And yet it's still it's still something that the government is using as leverage when they want to. I mean, I'm from upstate New York, uh, right next to the Canadian border. And we see time and again where, you know, they'll hit some drug bust. And it's, you know, uh, 20 pounds of marijuana confiscated going across the border. And it's like, really? That's what we're wasting our time over? Do we feel safer now? Um, you know, is that really keeping us as a society in a better spot than we would be if we were focusing on you know, the real, the violent crimes, right? The murders, the rapes, um, you know, when you're actually harming some people. Take, smoking a plant's not harming people. Uh, it's it's and that's the thing I think people uh, are starting to wake up to. So I think right now, Judge Gray, as we we do wrap up. We're at a point where I think society is starting to open their minds a little bit more to saying, "Hey, maybe there's a little bit more to this libertarian thing than as we had said before." was characterized by some other people besides libertarians. You know, we we, we allowed for too long our message to be uh, manipulated and articulated by people who were not libertarians. So. Let's, let's, you know, obviously your book, All Rise, is a great starting point for anybody who I think wants to get a starting off as to learn liberty. But if you were to give, so I'm in sales again, right? So my day job, I'm focusing on elevator pitches. How do we pique people's interests? What would be the elevator pitch to liberty that you could tell somebody right now as we head towards a 2020 election when fear is at an all-time high, people are looking for a reason, I think, to vote red or blue to say, no, time out, let's consider a real liberty option. I will tell you 
that if you're a liberal, you're a Democrat. This is a terrible thing to say. I don't disparage people very often, but you really don't want the down and out to get better because if they do, they'll end up voting Republican. So you can look back all the promises for the last 20 years or since the, the war on poverty. People are much worse off today in the black community, the Hispanic community than they were back then when they were more on their own. There were people helping people, etc. So they don't want you to get better. And the Republicans don't want you to get better either because then you'll start competing with them. I'm successful. I don't want the competition. Libertarians are the only ones that do not want to profit from being involved in government. And that's really important. We will, I would put in a safety net. This is again, Milton Friedman, below which you just give them some money. And every dollar you make between, you know, whatever the two extremes are, you lose 50 cents of your stipend, then get rid of all of these other welfare programs, all of the other intrusion, all of the other fraud, all of the other bureaucracy, and just allow people to make their own decisions. We care about people. I want to set up a system wherein you will be better off tomorrow than you were yesterday. With regard to education, I care about you such that it is a tragedy. It is a unnecessary tragedy. We have so many schools failing our children all around the country. If you empower the people, the parents, to choose where their government money is going to be spent for the education of their children, they will demand excellence. And you know something, Brian? They will receive it. We're the only game in town that really will put that across. So people, people, as we say it, and and I had a radio show for it's a podcast. I guess I'm in competition with you. It's called All Rise the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And you can go to www.voiceamerica.com and uh, you find it there. But uh, in fact, I had Joe Jorgensen on my show. It was broadcast on August 21st of this year. And lots of libertarians, Nick Sarwark, uh, Larry Sharp, by the way, say hello to Larry Sharp for me. Very, very bright guy. Wonderful, dedicated. Uh, he was going to be my running mate. Love Larry. Was Great guy. But we have got to change the label. We are a caring group. We care about what happens. We want it to be better next tomorrow than it was yesterday. And that means you should be in a position to make these important decisions in your life and bear the consequences of them. But we will have a safety net. The book is All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. The podcast is the All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. VoiceAmerica.com. Yes, sir. VoiceAmerica.com. Yes. We'll include all those links there in the show notes. Judge Jim Gray, thank you for joining The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much, Brian. Good luck to us all. Wish you well. Are you looking for a simpler life? Real information from real people without all the BS we're bombarded with today? Well, hey, I'm Gary Collins, the host of Your Better Life podcast. Make sure to go check it out. I'm a former intelligence officer, special agent, entrepreneur, and I'm here to give you the facts and give it to you straight so you can live the life you want. And make sure to check out my website, thesimplelifenow.com, where I sell all of my best-selling books, The Simple Life Series, Going Off the Grid, Living Off the Grid, and just flat out kicking some ass. Make sure to check it out, guys. All right, that's going to wrap up our third and final episode for this week's awesome, awesome shows here on The Brian Nichols Show. You had three guests. Yes, you just listened to Judge Jim Gray, All Rise the Libertarian Way, Sam Jacobs from Ammo.com back on Wednesday, and then we had Nick Reed from Americans for Prosperity, Operation Humanize on Monday. If you have not had the chance yet to check out those first two episodes, make sure you go back to your podcast catcher, download those episodes, and then make sure you hit the subscribe button, so I don't want you guys missing one single episode of The Brian Nichols Show. 
And if you could do me a favor, while you're subscribing, hit that five-star review button, right? When you hit a five-star re- uh, review and you, you rate us a quick review, it tells more people, number one, why you join the Brian Nichols Show audience, but number two, it helps move us up the rankings and it helps open uh, more people's eyes to what we're doing here at the Brian Nichols Show and the Greater Liberty Movement. So I need your help. So do me a favor, not only go ahead and do that five-star rating and review, but go ahead and send me a screenshot of said review at Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com and you'll be entered into a super awesome giveaway. We're working with an awesome new sponsor here on the Brian Nichols Show we'll be discussing very, very soon, but you'll be entered into winning an awesome uh, prize from said new sponsor. So again, email me with your review, brian at briannicholsshow.com. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and minds.com at bnicholsliberty. While I get in touch, tag me there. Or again, email me, brian at briannicholsshow.com. While I get in touch about the show, email me there again. Or email Corey, our awesome executive producer, Corey at briannicholsshow.com. So that's uh, going to be the end for uh, this week's episodes, guys. It was a great time here on the Brian Nichols Show looking forward to next week yes we are joined by uh what did todd or what did uh, mark claire call todd agopian the todd father uh so todd agopian libertarian chief on twitter uh he joins us here on monday a couple other great guests join the show we are joined by yes the one the only kane mayor glenn jacobs yes i had a great conversation with him uh, so be sure to look for that episode and uh, also be having a great conversation with uh, Libertarian Congressional Candidate Joe Hartman. So make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Don't miss a single episode here on The Brian Nichols Show. So with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off for Judge Jim Gray. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.